Yo, yo, it's Digsy's baby, the podcast, episode number five. All right, NFL week one is in the books, and it was a very, very exciting week uh, for the Digsy pick sides of things. We went three and three. We lost our opening two bets on Thursday night football. We had Tampa Bay minus six first half, Tampa Bay minus nine full game. We lost both of those. We went two and one on Sunday. We hit with the Texans, which is probably my sharpest pick ever in the history of Digsy picks. Chargers money line, we lost with the Colts, and then we hit the over 50 last night between Baltimore and Las Vegas. But the main thing I want to talk about right now is the New York Giants, and the New York Giants suck. I had such high hopes coming into this year that the New York Giants would be good. They gave Daniel Jones a lot of weapons, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony. They drafted uh, Edge Russell, Aziz Ojolari. They got a great secondary. Joe Judge, his second years, and all of that excitement just get extinguished. Boom, week one. And I know it's only week one, and it very well can be an overreaction, but I don't think it is. And it's really sad when the only New York sports team that brings me joy is the Knicks. The Yankees are mediocre. The Giants suck. The Rangers are rebuilding. We'll see what they have to bring this year. But back to the G-Men, they're a dumpster fire. And it all starts at the top. Joe Judge throwing a challenge flag on a play that you can't challenge and losing a timeout early in the second half. Like, come on. Come on, Joe Judge. You're coming from Belichick's system. You worked under Belichick. You work under Nick Saban. You don't know the basic rules. Now, he did say that, you know, I was just trying to get their attention, but you got to be better than that, man. You got to be better than that. Now, this might be an overreaction. Maybe Joe Judge isn't the guy for the job. That might be an overreaction. We'll see over the next uh, uh, 16 games, but... One guy I know isn't the right man for the job, and that's Jason Garrett. Just look to what he did in the second quarter after a great play by Logan Ryan to recover the fumble, who, by the way, was the highest graded safety at Pro Football Focus with a 90.4 rating. We'll get to the secondary later, but Ryan recovers the fumble. The Giants are backed up against that Ed zone, and Garrett calls first play, halfback dive. Second play, fullback flat. You got Elijah Penny going out for a pass, like three, four yards. And then the third play, tight end flat. You got Kyle Rudolph going to the flat uh, short of the first down marker. So no desire to push the ball downfield. No desire to call a run play for Daniel Jones when we've seen time and time again what he can do when plays are called for his legs when he's not fucking fumbling the ball. But Garrett calls three shit plays. Denver gets the ball back, marches down the the field scores they make it 10-7 so we saw it with Dallas now we're seeing it again with the Giants Jason Garrett's time has passed you know the league has changed it's moved in a different direction and we need a young exciting play caller with a few tricks up his sleeve instead of you know running the same vanilla offense over and over and over and over again and Judge said it yesterday in its press conference he doesn't plan on taking more shots down the field Thursday against Washington football team and why would you when Daniel Jones is your quarterback he now has 40 turnovers in 28 career games the second fewest amount of games to reach 40 turnovers in the history of the NFL let let me say that again 
the second fewest amount of games to reach 40 turnovers in NFL history. We're talking about over 100 years worth of history. Whenever they started keeping these stats, Daniel Jones is number two. What a fucking mess. What a mess. He's turned the ball over in 22 of his 27 career starts. 81% of the starts, he has a turnover. And I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I said, things are too good to be true right now. In the third quarter, after that great no huddle drive, they were moving the Giants down the field. I said to my wife, this is too good to be true. Jones normally turns the ball, ball over right about now. And what happens? Two plays later, fumbles the ball. Kills the drive. He's like a rookie quarterback in his third year. He doesn't know how to look defenders away. And that's his number one issue for interceptions, you know. But who knows what the issue is for fumbles. But when it comes to interceptions, he's staring down receivers and not even looking away. All the D-backs or linebackers have to do is just look at Daniel Jones' eyes. And he is just staring down the wide receivers. Easy interceptions for safeties, linebackers that know what they're doing. And... It's not like he didn't have time back there this week to get the ball downfield. You know, Jones was kept clean on 74.4% of his dropbacks, the second highest in his career. And Andrew Thomas, our second year left tackle, he recorded the highest pass block grade on true pass play sets in week one at 87.6 at Pro Football Focus. And second year guard Shane Lemieux had an 81.5 pass block grade, uh, the best of his career. So those guys got the job done. Nate Solder didn't. He did not get the job done. It was a disaster. He got manhandled by Von Miller. And there's a video out there when he just completely gave up on the play and Miller just went and sacked Jones. So honestly, I don't want to see Solder out there anymore. Week two, let's get Matt Pert the reps. It's not like we're going to be competing for a Super Bowl. Solder, your time has passed. Plus, we're paying him so much money too. It's like, like I don't want to see Nate Solder out there. He looked like he gave up on the play. It was horrible. But looking for their run blocking, their run blocking, the Giants run blocking was average. They ranked 13th in the league. But, you know, we only got 60 yards on the ground. So the, the offensive line is still a work in progress. Like I said, Andrew Thomas did well. Shane Lemieux did well. The left side's doing good. Let's get Pert over there on the right side. And let's piece this together. But like I said, the run game only got 60 yards on the ground. And obviously, Saquon Barkley, he's not ready. He had a nice one-handed catch, but he's just not ready. He was running into the defenders, running into the back of his offensive line. I don't blame him. You know, he's coming off a big injury. We knew he wouldn't be Saquon until week four, five, six, but... Saquon's not ready yet, and it's going to be tough next week against Washington football team. Now, on to the defense, which going into the season, I thought would be the strong suit. I talked about how great our secondary was. The defense led up 420 yards of total offense, 165 on the ground, and they made Teddy Bridgewater look like he was Michael Vick out there. The Broncos converted 7 of 15 third downs, all three of their first down tries, and they only punted the ball twice twice and they were just bleeding the Giants dry all game long with the underneath routes 
I don't understand why the secondary was playing so soft. Like I said, Logan Ryan had a good game. I think Darnay Holmes had a good game. According to the eye test, I didn't see his numbers, but they got to play these receivers more tight and don't allow them to get easy catches. And that is brought on by the defensive line, not getting pressure on the quarterback. Two sacks all game should have been three, but I guess Aziz Ojolari you know, didn't learn how to tackle at Georgia because he totally missed Teddy Bridgewater in the backfield and let him scramble for a first down. He got a sack later on in the game, but at the end of the day, he was the worst rated Giants defensive player at 39.9 at pro football focus. So that's, that hurts because we said all along we needed an edge rusher. I know we got Lorenzo Carter, but we needed a great edge rusher, somebody to get to the quarterback, our draft pick to fit that spot worst rated Giants defensive player of the game. And last year, the nice safety we picked up, Xavier McKinney out of Alabama. I love the guy. 45.2. Adoree Jackson, our sexy new free agent signing, 51. So these defensive players, they didn't rate well. They didn't play well. Even Blake Martinez, who's a tackling machine, missed an open field tackle and you never see that happen. So the Giants have a lot of work to do on both sides of the ball. I give the whole team a big stinking F for week one and they got a short week this week. Washington football team Thursday night and we're playing a backup quarterback, Taylor Heineke. You know, we saw him have some you know, sparks and some good plays against Tampa last year in the wildcard game. But you know what? There's no excuse. We're playing a backup quarterback. I know we're playing Washington football team. They have a great defense, but we saw what a good quarterback can do against them when Justin Herbert played well and took the charges down to Washington and got the win. So you know what, Daniel Jones, you want to make up for that fumble loss? Come back. Let's beat Washington Thursday night. Short week. But you know what, Garrett? You need Joe Judge needs to walk into Garrett's office and say, Jason, we need to get more creative with our play calling. Look what the Cowboys did Thursday night. Their play calling was very impressive, very exciting, very creative. And our play calling is just shit. You know, we drafted Kadarius Turney as our first pick. We traded back to get him after we lost out on Devonta Smith. And in the first quarter, we made a few plays for him, like a nice little sweep, a nice little screen. And then we just abandoned him the rest of the game. Why? Why? Now, Sterling Shepard had a great game. I knew I said that last week on the podcast. Galladay didn't have a lot of time with Jones in the offseason in training camp because he was hurt. Tony didn't have a lot of time with Daniel Jones because he was hurt. It would need to be Shepard's job to get the, the job done on for the wide receivers, and Shepard did. Shepard had a great game, but that was about the bright part for the Giants. You know, Sterling Shepard, he was our bright spot week one. So there's a lot of work for the Giants to do. It's early. You got an extra game this year. You got 16 more games. So you know what? Let's take this and let's say this was our preseason game because you know what? Joe Judge didn't play any of these guys in the preseason. Not at all. You should have had Daniel Jones out there a little bit. You know, I understand you don't want him to get hurt, but they they barely played in the preseason. And honestly, that's why you get these flat performances in week one. So Washington football team on a short week. Let's go there. Let's get the win. One and one. We'll have a nice long break. Nine days to get the team healthy, to put some more plays in the playbook, to get things going, get Saquon healthy. And then we got Atlanta 
at home September 26th, which should be a win. So even if we start 0-2, we should win that Atlanta game before we go down to New Orleans and we face Jameis Winston and the Saints. But hey, you know what? I'm pissed right now. I'm very upset. Like I said, I wait all summer long, starting end of July, beginning of August. I can't wait for football season and I can't wait for football season. Week one gets here and I get aggravated. I'm screaming at the TV. My wife's like, why do you look so forward to football season? It just aggravates you. Every Sunday, you're just sitting here screaming, cursing. My fantasy team sucks. The Giants suck. My parlays lost. It's like, why do I do this to myself? But you know what? We do. We're fans. We love the game. Giants, get your shit together. But I will say one more thing. Even if we start 0-2, the Giants started 0-2 and won a Super Bowl a few years, about, about 10 years back. So you know what? It could be worse. But I really think that we're in trouble. This is Daniel Jones' last chance. If Daniel Jones doesn't light it up this year, we're going to get a new quarterback next year. But what quarterbacks are out there in the draft? I, there's nobody that stands out to me like Trevor Lawrence did or Tua did or Joe Burrow did. So honestly, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is in the quarterback position if Jones falters, if Jones fails, but we'll see what happens. All right, on to the other New York team, the New York Jets. They lost 19-14 to in Carolina. And talking about offensive line issues, oh, poor Zach Wilson, man. He was running around like a chicken without a head back there. He fared okay when he had time. Uh, 258 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He also averaged 7.1 yards per pass when he had a clean pocket, but he rarely had a clean pocket. You know, under pressure in week one, he had 22 dropbacks tied for most in week one and six sacks also tied for most in the NFL in week one. But he did have a nice rapport with Corey Davis. He had five catches, 97 yards, two touchdowns, but they ain't going nowhere with that offensive line. And things got worse as Makai Becton sprained his MCL, dislocated his knee cap. He'll miss a minimum, minimum of four to six weeks. It probably will be more. And the Jets are in trouble with their offensive line. Even their new guard that they drafted out of USC, Vera Tucker, he had seven pressures and let up a sack. But the news coming out of Carolina was Sam Donald, who looked like a star out there. He showed up to play 24 for 35, 279 yards with the touchdown. He hit Robbie Anderson on a nice 57-yard touchdown, the old Jets combo. I'm sure that pissed Jets fans off. And I know people will say, look, Look at Donald, you know, replacing him and taking Wilson was in the right move. Donald has a competent O-line. Okay. So let's stop that talk right now. Okay. If Zach Wilson was on the Panthers, Zach Wilson would have done the same, if not more. And Wilson has an amazing arm. Okay. Some plays when he scrambled and he let it go and just chucked it down the field. You know, I know it's week one, but he looked a little Mahomes-esque out there. So Jets go to New England next week. They face a rookie quarterback, Mac Jones. I don't know if they could win that game, but Mac Jones looked really, really good in week one. And out of all the starting running backs in week one, he had the highest grade at pro football focus at 78.3. He went 29 for 39, 281 yards and a touchdown. 
The Patriots lost the close one to the Finns, 17-16. Tua looked okay. 202 yards, one touchdown, one interception. But like I said, Mac Jones was the best-rated rookie quarterback of the week. Zach Wilson was two with 63.2 PFF grade, even though he was running for his life. And Trevor Lawrence was last at 57.7. And like I said earlier, picking the Texans to win this week was one of my most sharpest plays ever. Rookie quarterback, rookie head coach, going on the road to the Texans. Since Texans were getting three easy money. Lawrence was 28 for 51. 51 attempts in his first game. That's crazy. 332 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. It was his first regular season loss in his life. Going back to high school, college, now the NFL. And Urban Meyer, the first game as a head coach, he got smoked. 37-21 to a Texans team who everyone picked to end, end up last in the NFL. And the USC job just opened up after USC fired Clay Helton after they just lost to Stanford this weekend. And you have to wonder if Urban Meyer is going to pull a Saban and leave after the season for USC. You know, I heard someone say it. he's a great leader of boys. Maybe he's not a good leader of men. So Trevor Lawrence finally faces some adversity in his career. I know Trevor Lawrence will figure it out. The question is, will Urban Meyer figure it out? Now, looking at the rest of the league, the Bucks cowboys game was a great one. Bucks start 1-0. Brady looks amazing again. 379 yards, four touchdowns, two to Gronk. But if I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm happy right now. Dax looked great. He looked healthy. 403 yards. Three touchdowns. Zeke didn't, Zeke didn't do much, but you're facing Tampa Bay's run defense, the best run defense in the league. And like I said earlier, the offensive play calling was impressive and creative. Something that I wish I can say about former Cowboys coach Jason Garrett. But the two, the second year quarterbacks, they, they fared well as well. Jalen Hurts looked like an all-star out there. And I was wrong about the Eagles and Sirianni. Uh, it's going to be a long, long season for the Giants because I thought the Eagles would be dead last in the NFC East. The Eagles look great. Now, I know they played Atlanta. They're not, you know, they're playing like a SEC team with Atlanta down there because Atlanta sucks. But you know what? They look great. Jalen Hurts look great. 264 yards, three touchdowns, 32 to 6 win over the Falcons. Herbert beat a tough defense, Washington football team, 337 yards, one TD, one interception. And Joe Burrow, man, he looked great coming back from his knee injury. 261 yards, two touchdowns. He had a nice touchdown pass to his former LSU wide receiver, Jamar Chase. And maybe Jamar Chase was trolling us when he said that it's harder to catch the NFL ball. It doesn't have the white stripes. It's hard for me to catch the ball because Jamar Chase looked great out there. And Honestly, Joe Burrow has balls, man, because at the end of the game, when it was fourth down and short in overtime, Zach Taylor called a run. Burrow grabbed his balls, called an audible, and he hit CJ Uzoma, which led to a field goal to win the game 27-24. So Joe Burrow gets a win to start the NFL season. Now, Russell Wilson, he was great in Indy. I was dead wrong about that game. I thought the Colts would win that game. Kyler Murray, man. Oh, my God. Kyler Murray looks like a cheat code. You know, he's running around like the Michael Vick experience ride that they did in those Gatorade or Nike commercials, whatever it was. Kyler Murray's a bad man. And honestly, it's very possible that all four teams in the NFC East I'm sorry, NFC West can make the playoffs because the 49ers look great, the Seahawks look great, the Cardinals look great, and the Rams look great 
on Sunday Night Football, especially with Matt Stafford back there with that defense, Sean McVay. I think that I picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl. That's one of my future bets. I'm still feeling that, especially the way they took care of Bears defense, which the Bears defense isn't as good as it was in years past. But you know what? The NFC West might very well be the best division in football. And speaking about the 49ers, man, Dan, Dan Quinn, he wouldn't let the Lions quit. They came back from 38 to 10. They eventually lost 41-33. But what's with Shanahan losing, not losing, but what's with Shanahan blowing these leads? He did it against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, the 28-3. We all know about that. He did it in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs when Patrick Mahomes came back to win that Super Bowl. And he's up 38-10 to the Lions, one of the worst teams in the NFL. Dan Quinn rallies his men. The Lions come back, recover an onside kick. Jared Goff was just dinking and dunking down the field. And the Lions almost came back to tie that game. That was a very exciting end of the game. Um Big Ben upset the Bills in Buffalo. That was a big surprise. And uh, yeah, Patty Mahomes came back from behind and took care of the Browns. And I saw something. The Browns haven't won in week one in like 17 years, which is insane. And the last game that I want to touch on, Aaron Rodgers. Of course, Diggsy's picks Aaron Rodgers for his fantasy quarterback, and he got me zero points. He looked like he didn't even want to be out on the field. He played horrible. It's probably the worst game in Aaron Rodgers' career. And Jameis Winston, he looked like a pro bowler out there. He looked like the first overall pick. Sitting behind Drew Brees did him some good. He threw for five touchdowns. And, man, the Saints whipped up on the pack. 38 to 3. And speaking about the Rams and the Bears before, Nagy, man, you got to get Fields in the game. You got to have him start. I saw something today that uh, Nagy says they don't want the Nagy and the Bears, they don't want to start Justin Fields until week four. But he looked great when he threw that pass in the first quarter. He also looked great when he did that uh, read option and ran it in for the touchdown. Andy Dalton's not the answer there. Justin Fields is the answer. We saw he has the composure. He threw a nice pass. He did a nice uh, read option, scored the touchdown. And you know what? If if defenders are coming down and, and they're going to be sacking Dalton, Fields can get away from that. Dalton can't. So Matt Nagy, start Justin Fields. Okay, don't wait till week three, week four. See what happens next week. And if Dalton, Dalton didn't play horrible, but he didn't play great. He didn't light the world on fire. If Dalton doesn't light the world on fire this week, you have to put Fields in the game. And the last thing that I want to talk about for NFL Week 1, the Peyton and Eli broadcast on Monday Night Football was electric. I loved it. You had Charles Barkley on there. Russell Wilson did amazing in the fourth quarter and overtime. They were calling it out the defense, the plays. I loved it. It's very upsetting that it's only going to be a few times the season. It's not going to be for every game. But give me more Peyton and Eli on the Monday Night Football broadcast. Okay, college football week two. We went two and two. We hit with Coastal Carolina Friday night. We lost Iowa State and Miami on Saturday, and we hit the under Navy and Air Force. The big news of the week, Oregon marched into Columbus, Ohio, and beat Ohio State on their home turf. The second week in a row, a top four team goes down. Last week, it was Clemson. So, hey. Looks like we're going to get some parity in college football this year, which is uh, very good to see. Uh, Michigan beat Washington 31-10. to Michigan is 2-0. Ohio State is 1-1. People in Ann Arbor, 
have to be happy with that right now. And it's going to make it even more exciting when Michigan plays Ohio State later on in the year. Uh, Arkansas beat Texas. That was a big uh, upset as well. Arkansas looks very good this year, 2-0. and And UGA rolled, Bama rolled. AP top 10, Bama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Oregon, Iowa, Clemson, Texas A&M, Cincinnati, Ohio State, Penn State. Michigan is 25th, which is crazy. Uh, up to me. I like where they're going with this, but I'm flip-flopping. I'm putting Oregon third. So I got Alabama one, Georgia two, Oregon third, Oklahoma four, Iowa five. Oregon beat Ohio State. Oklahoma almost lost to um, Tulane that first game of the season. So I like Oregon's resume more than Oklahoma's resume right now. So if it's up for me, Bama, Georgia, Oregon, Oklahoma. There it goes. All right. New York baseball, we had a great weekend. There was a great tribute Saturday night for 9-11, Yankees and the Mets. Uh, It was great to see Bobby Valentine out there, Joe Torre out there. They gave us a great game. They gave us a great series all weekend long. Uh, The Mets won the series, but you know what? Yankees are in a better spot right now when it comes to playoff chances. The Yankees have went three and five since the last podcast, and they're currently in a three-way tie for the wild card spot, the two wild card spots. You got New York, Toronto, Boston. All three of them are tied. One of these teams isn't going to make it. It's going to be very exciting to watch the next two and a half weeks to see what happens. Personally, I want Red Sox, Yankees. I don't want to face that Toronto lineup. And something surprising to me that I saw on Twitter last night that really never grabbed my attention because I thought all season long that Otani was going to win MVP. Vladimir Guerrero has a real good chance to win the Triple Crown. Okay, he's a point behind Goriel for the average. He leads in home runs, and he's about three behind Abreu with RBIs. So we haven't seen a Triple Crown winner since Miguel Cabrera won it uh, about four or five years ago. Before that, it was like the 60s, maybe even 70s. So it's very rare we get a Triple Crown winner. But Vladimir Guerrero is in the race, and he's right there to win the Triple Crown. And you know what? If Vladimir Guerrero wins the Triple Crown, you got to give him the MVP. You have to give him the MVP. But like I said, the Yankees are tied right there with Toronto and Boston. Toronto has been on fire. They've won nine of their last 10. Like I said, Yankees have won three and five since the last podcast. The Sox are four and six their last 10. And, you know, you got Seattle two games back. I'm sorry, Seattle's three games back. Oakland's three and a half games back. So as we sit right now, it looks like it's going to be a three-man race. Yankees, Toronto, Boston. But you know what? You can't count out Oakland. Seattle, I'm not worried about them. You can't count out Oakland. Now, it was nice to see the Yankees show some life at the end of the game with that makeup game against the Twins on Monday. Judge hit a nice home run in the eighth inning to tie the game. Now, one thing that I want to get at with the Yankees that is negative. Now, I'm going to premise this by saying I don't I don't condone calling anybody fat because Diggsies is currently fat. I gained about 20 25 pounds since my son was born last year. So currently Diggsies is fat, so I don't condone you calling anybody fat, but 
I do not want to see that fat fucking catcher behind home plate again next year, Gary Sanchez, because he drives me fucking insane. You saw what happened against the Mets with that tag with Villar. All you had to do, Gary, is just stand there and Villar was going to run into you. He can't, he can't, uh, like in years past. And also with that play, when Gio went home, when Gio threw the ball home, Sanchez barely reached for that. He, he could have got off home plate and grabbed that ball and came back and tagged the base. He barely reached that. You know what? I'm done with Sanchez. Okay. It was great the first year he came up. He looked like he was going to be a star hitting home runs left and right here and there. But you know what? He is just a liability behind the plate. And I don't want him on the team next year. Send him to another AL team where he could DH. He doesn't have to catch. He could DH. He could hit his home runs once a week. You know, the guy's batting fucking 210 this year. He has 21 home runs batting 210. In the last two weeks, he's batting 172. The last month, he's batting 185. I don't want to see Sanchez back there. We make it to the playoffs. I want to see Higoshioka back there. He needs to be back there for defensive purposes. We have enough bats in the lineup that we do not need Sanchez back there with his fat fucking face and just continually being a, a a slow fucking turtle back there like just look at a, even the, the next game sunday night when i forget who it was pitching they threw the ball down in the in the dirt and he was just like a half ass effort to grab the ball the ball goes to the backstop runners move on to the next base it's like over and over and over and over again gary sanchez is just a lazy piece of shit back there behind home plate and honestly i do not want to see uh, send them for a bag of fucking baseballs i don't care just get them off the team i don't want to watch them next year get sanchez off the team next year and come playoff time you got to put higoshioka back there because i don't want to see sanchez back there in the playoffs now the mets they lost another tough one last night in extra innings the 11th inning oh man in the in the 10th inning they had first and third one out lindor up at bat you think the mets are definitely going to win that game he hits a nice hard ground ball to first base goldschmidt steps on the base fires home double play Cardinals score three in the top of the 11th. The Mets score two in the bottom of the 11th. Wasn't enough. The Mets are three and five since the last podcast. They are now five and a half back of the Braves, who have six and four the last 10 games. They are four back in the wild card. And they've made up some they made up some spots in the, in the wild card, only four back. But you know what? You got a lot of teams to jump. You got to jump the Phillies. You got to jump the Cardinals, you got to jump the Padres, and you got to jump the Reds. So you need a lot to happen. There's what, about 17 games left in the season? You got to win like 12 or 13 of those games, maybe even more. So who knows what's going to happen with the Mets. As we stand right now, they're probably out of it. But, you know, I, I thought they were dead in the water two, three weeks ago, and they're still hanging around. So we'll see what happens. Lindor has been on fire lately. 283, six home runs, 14 RBIs. He had the three home run game versus the Yankees on 9-11. And Sunday night baseball, we saw the Yankees and the Mets get a little chippy. Uh, when Stanton was rounding the base, he you know, jockeyed at Lindor. Lindor was saying that the Yankees were tipping off pitches for T1 Walker on Saturday. Benches, you know, benches cleared. Little brawl. Nobody really fought, but people were jockeying. So it's nice to see the teams, you know, go at it. And it would be amazing to get a Subway Series with the, you know, heat that they got between these two teams right now. But let's be honest, the odds of that happening are pretty much nil. (laughs) 
All right, it's time for the Digsies Wrestling Recap to finish this week's podcast. And it was a good week. And honestly, I am WWE's harshest critic, okay? If you listen to all four episodes, I'm always ripping WWE a new one. I'm always talking bad about WWE. But I got to say one thing. When WWE does it right, they do it right. And Monday night, they did it right. They they had a great show, a great main event title match between Bobby Lashley and Randy Orton. Big E tweeted out earlier in the day that he intended to cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase, and he intended to win the WWE Championship, and he did just that. They got a loud pop. They left everybody leaving that arena happy. The fans at home were happy. Twitter was happy. The wrestling uh, pundits, wrestling world pundits were happy. So WWE finally gave the fans what they wanted. Big E is the champion on Raw, and you know what? Now we have a fresh storyline, a fresh main event scene. It's not, you know, Lashley can go and have his match with Goldberg in Saudi Arabia, what have you, but you know what? Big E's the champion. He deserves it. He's been one of the best wrestlers, one of the biggest fan favorites for a long time, and WWE got it right. They got it right with Big E, and it was supposed to happen the first night of the draft. Big E was supposed to win the championship the first night of the draft, but the draft was pushed back to October. The first night of the draft was supposed to be this Monday. They pushed it back to October, but they still kept the Big E cash in with. In, in years past, they probably would have been like, ah, oh, we'll wait till the draft, but you know what? They told Big E he was going to get the championship in September. They gave it to him. Very, very good job by WWE. Now, WWE Next 2.0 debuted last night. I like the new look. I like the new theme music. When you're watching it, it looks more like a wrestling show. It's not so dark and 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 moot. And uh, Tommaso Ciampa won the NXT Championship last night. I wish that they gave it to O'Reilly, but who knows what they're doing with him because he wasn't even in the main event. He was beaten down by Pete Dunne and his goons before the game to even, he couldn't even compete in the match. Von Wagner replaced him. So I guess we're going to get Kyle O'Reilly versus Pete Dunne. That will be the feud. And who knows who will go up against Ciampa for the title. But I like the way it looked. I like the new look of WWE NXT 2.0. Now, SmackDown was good as well. Um, Sammy's, it was at MSG. They always step up when it's at MSG. Sami Zayn brought out Trey Young, which was heat like no other. What a great, that's like bringing The Rock, bringing out Reggie Miller back in the 90s. Trey Young is hated in New York at the Garden. Sami Zayn brought him out. It was some great heat. And at the end of the show, the demon Finn Balor came back. And Finn Balor, the demon, will face Roman Reigns at Extreme Rules now. I don't have a problem with this right now, but I will have a problem with it. If Rain squashes the demon, I'm going to have a big problem with that because the demon, when Finn Balor has been the demon, he hasn't lost in WWE as the demon. You can't have him lose just to keep Rain hot. You need someone, you need a false finish. You need Brock to come in, do something to interrupt that match because you cannot have Finn Balor, the demon, taking a clean loss at Extreme Rules. Now, Moving over to AEW, Dynamite actually beat Raw last week in the 18-49 demo. Dynamite had 1.3 million viewers, the second highest Dynamite ever. So they beat Raw last week, which is very impressive for a company that is only around for the past two and a half years. Now, Monday night, 
Raw had 556,000 in that demo versus Monday Night Football. It was the lowest since July 5th, even after Big E announced the news that he was going to cash in and they had the big title match. It was down roughly about 100,000 from the week before. We understand that it's Monday Night Football. I'm sure that's why they did the whole Big E storyline, but... Last week, Dynamite beat Raw. Very, very impressive. And WWE legend Mick Foley came out and he was talking bad about WWE. He said, WWE used to be the place where characters, characters come to life. It's not the place for young talent anymore. And WWE wrestlers have lost the aspect of individuality. So that is big coming from Mick Foley. He's saying that if you're a young wrestler right now, go to AEW. They're going to let you be an individual. Now, Pro Wrestler Insider announced their top 500 last week, and no surprise, Kenny Omega's number one. I said it all along, Omega has been the best wrestler in the world the past few years. Roman Reigns comes in at two. That very much could have been swapped. Reigns won Omega two. I, I think Omega gets the edge, but Roman Reigns has been fantastic. He deserves to be number two. Bobby Lashley, three. Drew McIntyre, four. Kota Ibushi, five. Uh, you got... Osprey, Bella, Shingo Tagaji, and Rich Juan rounding it out. But Omega is the number one wrestler in the world, according to PWI. Now, Dynamite was fantastic coming from Cincinnati. And I just got to say, MJF is the best heel in the business, man. He gave that great promo against Brian Pillman and Brian Pillman's family. He's going to be facing Brian Pillman Jr. now. He literally made Pillman's sister go into labor. After that promo of him berating her, she went into labor on Friday and had the baby. So that's insane. Adam Cole as a heel, I'm loving it. He interrupted Tony Schiavone, called him a nerd. You can tell how excited Adam Cole is because his hand was literally shaking when holding the mic when he was giving that promo Wednesday night. And Daniel Bryan came out, he interrupted the elite, grabbed the mic from Omega. I love the new attitude we're seeing from Daniel Bryan. He's a badass. He wants to take on Omega. He wants to take on the best. He doesn't care about the win-loss records. I like the new attitude with Daniel Bryan. So it's going to be a very exciting few months in the wrestling world. And man, AEW, they are taking it to another level. And I will be at Arthur Ashe Stadium next Wednesday to watch Dynamite Live. And I'm looking forward to it. All right, one last thing before we wrap up the show. Uh, Brooks Kepka had an interview with Golf Digest that came out this week. And we don't know if Brooks Kepka is going to be able to play in the Ryder Cup. He's coming off a wrist injury. Wrist whistling straights kicks off next week. But he said a few things about the Ryder Cup that, listen, I love Brooks Kepka. He's one of my favorite golfers. Kepka, Reed, they're my t Tiger Woods, they're my top three favorite golfers. But this is what Kepka said about the Ryder Cup. It's tough. There are times when I'm like, I won my match. I did my job. What do you want from me? I know how to take responsibility for the shots I hit every week, Kepka said. Now, somebody else hit a bad shot and left me in a bad spot. I know this holds a loss. It's a bit odd, if I'm honest. I don't want to say it's a bad week. We're just so individualized, and everybody has their own routine and a different way of doing things. And now it's like, okay, we have a meeting at this time, or go do this, or go do that. The physical part, I can handle. The mental side, you have to be able to turn it off. Now, listen. This is why Team Europe has won seven of the last nine Ryder Cups. And the big word there is 
team. The European players, they buy into the team aspect. They go into the matches. They ask their coach, what's my role this week? Okay, I'll play it. Now, Team USA, we're just filled with big egos. Everybody wants to go out there, all five matches, and be the superstar. You know, you have Patrick Reed throwing his team under the bus back in Paris because he didn't get to play with Jordan Spieth. You got Phil Mickelson coming out and talking about the coaching. Now, that was okay. I accept that after Tom Watson completely, you know, fumbled that Ryder Cup. But Team Europe is a team. T team USA is a bunch of individuals playing together that week. And that's the issue. Like, look at somebody like Bryson DeChambeau, okay? He's going through two speed training sessions a day and getting ready for the Ryder Cup all at once. Like, come on, bro. Like, I understand you want to be a, a, you're joining the, the world long drive competition and it's the week after the Ryder Cup, but you know what? Then take a step away from the Ryder Cup. Like, take a step away. Like, if I'm Steve Stricker, I'm telling Bryson, listen, Bryson, you're playing the four ball and you're playing the Sunday singles. That's it. You play your own ball, go out, get as many birdies as you can. Like, do you really want to partner somebody up with Bryson when Bryson's hitting the ball to the moon, you know, into the rough, left, right, here, there, everywhere? You don't. You don't want somebody to have to play Bryson's ball. You know, Bryson's not playing anybody else's ball. That's just absurd. So, Bryson, this is your role. You're playing a four-ball ma- four match on Friday, a four-ball match on Saturday, and the singles match on Sunday. That's your role. Buy into it. And you know what? I think Stricker might be the guy to get the job done because just his conference, his press conference and everything he says, I think that he's not going to take shit from these guys and he's not going to let ego come in the way. And honestly, when he drafted this team and he picked his captain picks, he picked players that fit the course, people that could drive it far, Scotty Scheffler, Harris English. Guys that can drive the ball far and make birdies. That's why he didn't take Kevin Na and Kevin Kisner, even though all you know a lot of people on Twitter were rooting for him to take Kevin Kisner and Kevin Na because they're good putters and they're good match play guys. But you know what? Whistling straights is not a golf course for Kevin Kisner and Kevin Na. So I like what Stricker did with his captain picks. We got the captain picks were Harris English, Jordan Spieth. Xander Schauffele, Daniel Berger, Scotty Scheffler, and I'm missing one. Tony Finau, for some reason, I thought Finau made it on points. Now, Patrick Reed was probably the next man up. Now, here's what happened. Patrick Reed almost died a few weeks ago, or Patrick Reed is lying and saying he almost died a few weeks ago, like he, you know, you can never trust what comes out of Reed's mouth. Now, like I said earlier, I like Patrick Reed. He's one of my top three favorite golfers. I don't know why. He's just a dickhead, and I like him for it. But Patrick Reed almost died. He had double pneumonia. He was in a Houston hospital. He got himself better, made it to uh, East Lake with the Tour Championship. He didn't put up a great round. He finished 11th in the standing. So if they were going to go down the list, it would have been Finau, Schauffele, Spieth, English, Reed, and Berger. But they skipped Reed and they went down to 14th and took Scheffler. Now, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with the way it's working nowadays is they're asking the players, the six players who made the team, who do you want to play with? Okay, who They're having to say on who the captain picks will be. And honestly, 
Um, I bet you nobody wants to deal with Patrick Reed. You know, you just have the whole issue with him, you know, cheating and proving his lie. You know, like even Daniel Berger, let's say Daniel Berger, right? You saw after what happened at the Farmers Insurance Open, the next tournament or two tournaments later, Patrick Reed had an issue in the rough and Daniel Berger literally walked up and stood like five feet away and watched Patrick Reed you know, make his drop or do whatever he had to do with his ball like a hawk because all the rumors about Patrick Reed cheating and, and him getting caught cheating. And in 2018, he played like shit. Now, he is Captain America. He was Captain America, okay? In 2014, 2016, he was Captain America. He was the best player we had on Team USA. But 2018, he shit the bed and he went out and shot an 84 with Tiger Woods as his partner. And he came out and he said about he was upset not playing with Jordan Spieth. And he said, the issue obviously with Jordan not wanting to play with me, I don't have any issue with Jordan. When it comes right down to it, I don't care if I like the person I'm paired with or if the person likes me, as long as it works and it sets the team up for success. Now, you didn't play with Jordan Spieth, but you played with Tiger Woods, the best golfer in the history of golf. So you know what? You can't be that upset about things. So Patrick Reed stirred shit up back in 2018. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this. If Brooks Kepka can't go, Patrick Reed was probably in the discussion to be the next man up. And what does Patrick Reed do? The burner account on Twitter that we all think that his wife, Justine, is running, or maybe he's running, they were liking tweets all day long when the captain picks were made about calling Steve Stricker a coward. How can Patrick Reed not be on this team? He's Captain America. I'm rooting for Europe now because Patrick Reed's not on the team. Tagging Steve Stricker on this. So now if Brooks Kepka can't play, you're not going to pick Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed pretty much just called you a coward. Why are you going to have Patrick Reed on the team when he just called you a coward? So this is, again, another issue why Team USA struggles in this event because it's just drama. And even look at the drama we're going to have if Brooks does play. Brooks and Bryson fucking hate each other, and they're going to have to be in the team room. So Brooks is going to have to answer questions about Bryson. Bryson's going to have to answer questions about Brooks. Brooks is going to have to answer questions about what he said at Golf Digest about the Ryder Cup and how it's he, he likes being an individual, this and that. Uh, all the players are going to say, oh, what's the chemistry like with Brooks and Bryson in the team room? Does Team Europe have, have to deal with any of that shit? Has Team Europe ever ever had to deal with any of that shit? What's the worst that Team Europe had to deal with? When Danny Willett's dumb brother came out in 2016 and talked about Americans not being able to hold their alcohol and liquor and they were just a bunch of drunk schmucks out there, that's the worst thing Team Europe had to deal with in 2016. And the fans let them hear it. The fans let Team Europe and Danny Willett hear it at Hazeltine. I was there. I heard it. Rory McIlroy almost literally fought somebody in Hazeltine. He almost fought a fan. A fan said something to him. He got in the fan's face, almost threw a punch at the fan. So it was very rowdy in Hazeltine and it's going to be rowdy at Whistling Straits because Wisconsin, you know, Wisconsin people love their sports. The Ryder Cup, man, it's a crazy event. The, and, and, you know, just getting people out there, you're drinking from like eight o'clock in the morning to like Five, six o'clock in the afternoon, things get rowdy and it's going to be rowdy and Team Europe's going to hear it. But you know what? It doesn't bother Team Europe. Now, USA is about minus 180, minus 190 favorites. Team Europe is like plus 200 right now. Now, 
USA has the stars, okay? Team Europe, there's three guys in Team Europe that are superstars that can play well on a long course. You got John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, and Victor Hovland. Those three guys need to step up. If those three guys don't step up, Team Europe's going to have trouble, okay? Now, you pick Ian Poulter. He's a short hitter, but he can putt with the best of them. Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood, Shane Lowry. You got Burnt Wiesberger, who's a rookie. Fleetwood's on the team. You know he's going to get iron shots close, but Team USA and Steve Stricker, they're going to make this course made for birdies. They're going to cut down the rough. They're going to put pins in the middle of the green. Same thing they did at Hazeltine. And honestly, I'm getting a little tired of this because... When the Ryder Cup is over in Europe, they make tight fairways, they tuck pins. When the Ryder Cup's in USA, wide fairways, put the pins in the middle of the green. It's like, can we get a third entity in here to set up the course so we could get an exciting, tight Ryder Cup? Because looking at the Ryder Cup over the past, it's just been blowout after blowout after blowout. Because if you're home, you get to set up the course and you're setting up the course to win. You know, in Paris... Europe won 17 to 10. In Hazleton, 2016, US won 17 11. 2014, 16 to 11. Now, Medina in 2012, 14 and a half to 13 and a half. Um, Celtic Manor, the year before, uh, two years before, 14 and a half to 13 and a half. So it was tight back then, but they didn't really mess with the courses back then as much as they mess with now. Now it's all about the captain making the course. You know, except, making the course as easy as it can be for your teams, for your players on the team. So, I don't know, man. It's 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 crazy the way Team USA just continually fucks things up. And the Golf Digest thing, like, if you're Brooks, Ka I know Brooks Kepka doesn't give a shit. Okay, he just speaks what's on his mind. He doesn't care. But you got to tell Golf Golf Digest. Can't you hold off on that article and put it out the first week of October, not put it out the week before the Ryder Cup when I'm going to have to answer questions about it? So honestly, you know, Brooks Kepka, he's a great talent, man. And he in that article, he came out and said that he thinks he's going to catch Tiger and Jack in majors. He said that in my mind, I'm going to catch him on majors. I believe that. I don't see any reason that can stop me. I'm 31. I have another 14 years left. If I win one a year, I got Jack. People misconstrue that as being cocky. No, that's just my belief. If I don't have that belief, I shouldn't be out there. If you don't think you could win, why the hell are you teeing it up? So he's a cocky motherfucker. We know that. That's what I like about Brooks. That's what I like about Reed. That's what I liked about Tiger. I like the guys that go out there and say, beat me. But that cocky attitude doesn't really work in team atmospheres and team team events. You need to be humble. You need to be able to put your ego, leave your ego at the door, step in and say, how can I help my team win? What can I do for my team? Not what can I do for myself? And, you know, some of it is like, you know what? Some guys might, it, it might be best, you know, like, like fuck the guy's feelings. Like, like someone like Weisberger, you know what? You're only playing singles Sunday. You're not playing any foursomes, you're not playing any four ball. And you know what? Team Europe, Weisberger might be like, okay, cool, let's go. Let's go win this Ryder Cup. But if you had to tell like Bryson DeChambeau, you're only playing single Sunday, he would have a fucking heart attack. And he'd be talking to the media, throwing his team under the bus, this, that, the other. You know what? We have a new guard with the Ryder Cup, we have young guys, Colin Morikawa, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, Scotty Scheffler, uh, Jordan Spieth and JT. It's their team, okay? 
Those are the two stalwarts. Those are the two stars. It's going to be their team going. Dustin Johnson's 37 years old. He probably has maybe one, two Ryder Cups left. And let's be honest, Dustin Johnson's really not a leader anyway. Obviously, Brooks Kepka has no desire to be the leader of the team. So when we're talking about the players, it's Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth's team. They are the leaders of the team. You're bringing the young guys up. You got Scotty Scheffler, Daniel Berger. And Daniel Berger's fiery, man. I like Daniel Berger. Uh, he he's gonna he could very well go out there and go three and zero four and zero because he can get birdies he's accurate he puts well so we need the young guys to come in and buy into the team aspect here we need the young like think about when Hal Sutton was like you got the two best players in the world Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson of course I'm pairing them together he paired them together and it was a disaster because they're individuals. We need to stop thinking of the Ryder Cup as an individual event. It's a team event. Leave your ego at the door. Be a team. Play your role. Like, look in basketball. You got a six-man. You know, Derrick Rose came off the... You had Alfred Payton starting for the New York Knicks this year. Derrick Rose came off the bench. Derrick Rose is 10 times better than Alfred Payton. Derrick Rose is, is a former MVP. You'd think Derrick Rose wanted to come off the bench and not start for the Knicks and have Alfred Payton in front of him? No. Derrick Rose wanted to start, but Derrick Rose bought into the team aspect, bought into the team chemistry and said, you know what? I'll come off the bench. I'm a reigning MVP. I'm an all-star in this league. I was one of the best players in this league for years. I'll come off the bench if it helps the team. We need players on Team USA to do that. Come off the bench, help the team. Be the sixth man to help the team. The pairings, I think we could get some good... You know you're going to have JT and Spieth. JT and Spieth are going to play together. They, did, they didn't do okay in France, but you know what? Let those two guys go out there. They're comfortable together. They uh, feed off of each other. JT and Spieth... I'll take that. You also, I'm hearing Morikawa is going to play with Finau because the even holes at Whistling Straits are longer than the odd holes. And a lot of the part threes are odd holes. So you send Finau out, have Finau drive off the even holes. He could hit it far out there. Colin, has a, uh, Colin Morikawa has a nice wedge into the green or a short iron. Also on the par threes, you got Morikawa hitting irons into the green. He's a better iron player than Tony Finau. That's smart. Finau Morikawa, JT Spieth. I don't know what the other pairings will be. Who's going to play with DJ? Like I said, Bryson, he's probably only going to play four balls, so it doesn't really matter. Honestly, I'm putting someone that's accurate with Bryson because, you know, Bryson can very well go out there and shoot six under or he go out there and shoot six over. So, you know what? If I'm Stricker, I'm putting somebody out there that I know is going to give me two, three birdies, two, three under. You know, maybe someone like Xander Schauffele maybe Harris English, someone safe. I'm going to put someone safe out there, you know, can't lay. I'm going to put someone safe out there with Bryson, but you're going to have JT and Spieth. The rumors are Finau Morikawa. It'll be interesting to see what other matchups they'll have. But again, Team USA, please buy into the team. Buy into the team. There's no I in team. Europe does it. Europe is and they don't care about Eagles. Look at Frankie Molinari went 5-0 and in Paris. He's not even on the team this year because he hasn't been playing well. If it, and you, it, Team USA, you know, if like say Phil Mickelson wasn't playing well in years past, a Tiger, you were giving them the spot because they're Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods. 
Team, team Europe doesn't do that. We're taking the guys that are playing good right now. Justin Rose isn't on the team. Justin Rose is an all-time European great. So again, take what you will from this. Team Europe is a better team. Team USA has the talent. They're more individuals. But honestly, if you lose this Ryder Cup Team USA, heads are going to roll because it is set up. The course is set up for you to win. The players you picked on the team are perfect for the course, horses for the course. And Team Europe has the three stars. It falls off after that. They're old. And this is a perfect time for Team USA to get a win and build because you know what? The way things are looking, if we could figure this out, we could win seven of the next nine because Team Europe has Hovland, Rory, Rahm. Other than that, everybody's old. Westwood's old. Casey's old. Sergio's old. Polter's old. They don't have that young guard coming up like we do. So let's grab our balls. Let's leave our ego at the door. Let's go to Whistling Straits. Let's win this. And let's start a dynasty at the Ryder Cup. All right, there you have it. Yo, yo, it's Digsy's Baby, the podcast, episode number five. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Look out for Digsy's picks. I'm posting my picks every single day on Twitter, Instagram stories, and doing videos a few times a week with the picks. Digsy Picks is doing good. We're up a few units, a couple units this, this year so far. Follow Digsy Picks. Follow us, rate, subscribe, listen to the podcast. Tell your family, tell your friends. Yo, yo, it's Digsy's baby.